Good afternoon. <laughs> Y'all getting hungry? Yeah, you are. <laughs> All right. Good. Well, that hunger will keep y'all awake to listen. How many of y'all were here last year? Quite a number of you. How many of y'all remember my session on how to read the Bible and those three questions to ask of the Bible? A few of you. How many of y'all actually have used those questions, tried to use them here and there? Some of you? Okay, good. Good. Well, I'm going to build a little bit on that today. Um, I'm actually going to begin, though, by talking about... an about a guy named Augustine. Who's heard of Augustine? Wow, a lot of you. He lived back in the 300s. That's the 300s after Jesus. So 300 years after Jesus. That's a long time ago. But Augustine was a giant, a spiritual giant. Had a huge influence on the church of his day. And we're going to look at his life because his life is interesting the way he came to Christ and we're also going to look at a few lessons he taught on prayer. And there's a whole lot more I could go into. But we're going to just look at three things he taught. And then we're going to try to make it really practical. Because that's kind of my heart for you guys. Is that you would leave with a sense of this is possible. This is doable. This is not unattainable. It's not unreachable. But I can get to know God. I can spend time with God. Uh, this is possible. So... Let's begin our time with prayer. Father, we thank you that you are with us right now in this room. And you want to speak to us. And you want us to respond to what you say. You want to have a relationship with us. You want us to walk with you. Father, I pray that in this session and and through the whole day that is spent here, that you would revive within us a desire for you and you alone. A true desire, a heart cry that longs for you. Do that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Augustine. Augustine was born in Thagast. North Africa. Some of these names are weird. But North Africa. You know where Algeria is? It's where modern day Algeria is. The year was 354. His mother was a devout Christian and his father was an ill-tempered pagan. So he had a, a, a Christian for his mother, a pagan for his dad. Augustine was bright and he succeeded in school. But he also fell in with the wrong crowd. When Augustine was sent to school at Carthage, which was a little bit, a little bit away from his hometown of Thagast, he's sent to Carthage. There he succumbed to worldly temptations, worldly temptations that were prevalent there. He said this in his confessions. His confessions are his, his, since his autobiography of how he came to know Christ. He said, I came to Carthage. And all around me hissed a cauldron of illicit loves. Like his language, like, whoa. All these temptations, illicit temptations, things that were against God, that were sinful, and they were all around them. And he succumbed to them. At the age of 17, he took a mistress, and a year later he fathered an illegitimate child named Adiodatius. 
And by this time, Augustine had decisively departed from the teachings of his mother, the Christian teachings, and had decided to live a life of pleasure. You know, whatever would bring the most pleasure to him, that's where he was going to go. But then, as he grew older, he finished school and began a job teaching, teaching rhetoric and grammar in his hometown of Tagast in North Africa. In 376, he took a position uh, there in Carthage. And then in 383, he moved to Rome. So he's moving from place to place, from city to city. He went to the capital of Rome. But there he got tired of his students' behavior. They weren't paying their bills. And, and, and so he decided to move even further north. So he's moving from Carthage to Rome to Milan. And there in Milan, he meets an individual. Now, these years were searching years for Augustine. He was pursuing significance in pleasure, in in learning, in being bright and smart and looked up to, in the various philosophies of the day. He was looking at the different ways of thinking about the world. But none of this was satisfying him. In fact, he writes this. He says, my sin was this that I looked for pleasure, beauty, and truth, not in God, not in Him, but in myself, in His other creatures. And where did it lead Him? It led Him to pain, confusion, and error. Have you have you experienced that? Searching for something, but it only leading you to pain, confusion, error. It's possible. Well, during this time, his mother Monica didn't stop praying for him. Prayed and prayed and prayed for him. In his confessions, he writes, My mother, your faithful servant, wept for me before you more than mothers weep when their children die. He's, he's speaking to God here. God, you heard her and you didn't despise her tears which poured forth to wet the ground under her eyes in every place where she prayed. Do you have a mother who is praying for you? or a father who's praying for you, or a family member who's praying for you. That's an incredible thing. I know my mom prayed for me. One of the reasons I have come to know Jesus Christ because of my mother. It's a wonderful thing. Well, she didn't pray in vain. In Milan, he met a man named Ambrose. Ambrose was the pastor there of the main church there in Milan. And he writes this, Augustine writes, In Milan, I found your, devote, your devoted servant, the Bishop Ambrose. And at that time, his gift, his gifted tongue never tired of dispensing the richness of your corn, the joy of your oil, and the sober intoxication of your wine. Now, he's not actually talking about food here, but he's talking about the word of God that's being taught and preached week after week. And he's likening it to really good food. I was taking this good food in. And he writes, unknown to me. I didn't realize it at the time. But you, God, had led me to Milan and to Ambrose. You led me to him so that I might knowingly be led by him to you. Like God was in control of the circumstances of his life, right? So that he might come to know God. Now, to the joy of his mother, Augustine was converted in 386 under Ambrose's ministry. And he was baptized a year later, along with his son, Adiodatius. 
But the next few years were difficult ones for Augustine. His mother passed away in 387. And a year later, or two years later, his son died at the age of 17. And so he basically lost all those who were nearest and dearest to him. Now, after his conversion, he returned to North Africa in the hopes of establishing a monastery, a place where people could come aside and get to know God. But God had other plans for him. And instead of retreating into a a life of meditation, he was pressured to become ordained, to become a pastor, a priest. And later he became the bishop, that is the leading figure of the church there in a town called Hippo. Now, we're not talking about a hippopotamus, but it's a town called Hippo there in North Africa. And he served in that role for 34 years until his death. Now, Augustine was a busy man. Not only did he have all the responsibilities of the church that he was involved with, but he also was involved in the educational system of the, of the city. He also dealt in the judicial system of, of the city. And he, so he knew what it was like to get overwhelmed. He knew what it was like to be busy. He knew what it was like to have lots of obligations. It was also during this time that Augustine wrote lots of books. Augustine wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. Some of his most famous books are his Confessions. The third-year students have to read some of his Confessions. The City of God, which is a tome, a big tome, and on the Trinity. In fact, we have over 5 million... Did I say that right? We have about 5 million words, individual words, that he penned that have come down to us. That's about 15,000 pages of writing. That's about 75, 200-page books. Whoa, that's a lot of writing. He wrote and he wrote and he wrote. And it's blessed the church. He lived to see the invasion of the Roman Empire by the barbarians. Anybody studied that in history? The, the, The invasion of the Roman Empire? Well, he lived to see that day. In fact, he died in 430 A.D., just shy of his 76th birthday. And as he lay on his deathbed, the barbarians were laying siege to the city of Hippo. They were all around the city of Hippo. And he died with that. Well, what can Augustine teach us on prayer? Augustine was a man of God, a man who walked with God. What can he teach us about prayer? Well, the first thing I want to note is this first lesson here. And this is, I think, kind of where your notes begin. You had a timeline, but this is where your notes really begin. Happiness, he would say, can only be found in God. Now, Augustine knew this by personal experience, right? Because he looked for happiness in a lot of places. But he said a lot of those places only led to error and confusion, right? He came to the conclusion that happiness can only be found in God. So he, he would believe that every person, no matter who you are, you desire to be happy. Like You desire to be fulfilled. There's this longing within you to be satisfied and, and, and happy. Would you agree with me that you, you long to be happy? Does anybody want to be unhappy? There's this longing for happiness. He, he writes this, to aim at the happy life to wish for the happy life, to covet the happy life, to seek and follow after it, I think this is the business of all men. Like, what are people out there doing? What are you doing? They're seeking a happy life. The best one they can find. 
That's what they're after. But problem is not everyone agrees where to find happiness. Not everyone agrees. He writes, but to know where to find this thing desired of all, that is disputed among men. That divides them. Some say, well, you'll, you'll find it best in entertainment, or you'll find it best in education, or you'll find it best in getting a good job, I mean, lots of money and buying whatever you want. That's where happiness is found. Or you'll, you know, whatever. So people are divided. And the question is, where are you going to find true happiness? Like, where are you really going to find it? What is the only true object that can satisfy our deepest longings? What is the supreme good that if we possess it, it'll leave nothing to be desired? Whoa, what is it? Augustine says that we have this capacity for God. We have a capacity for God which is part of our deepest nature. And the only happy life is the life that has this deep longing for God fulfilled. That's the only happy life. His most famous quote, here it is. You know what his most famous quote is? Augustine's most famous quote? Drum roll. Y'all ready for it? All right, here it is. You have formed us for yourself. He's speaking to God. God You have formed us for yourself. Who created you? God created you. And he created you for pleasure? No. For money? No. For a job? No. For himself. You formed us for yourself and our hearts are restless. They're unhappy. They're unfulfilled until they find their rest in you. Some people have said it like this. We have this God-shaped void that only God can fill in our lives. He also writes, I say, therefore, that he is happy who possesses God. Like This is not complicated, is it? But it's profound. Who is the happy one? The, The one who has God. He has everything he needs. She has everything she needs. The one who has God. So, it follows then that if you really want to experience true happiness, you got to pursue God. Doesn't that make sense? If happiness, true happiness is only found in God, if we want it, we've got to pursue God. And so, he writes, following after God is the desire of happiness. To reach God is happiness itself. Like To seek for God is the longing for happiness. To find God is to have happiness. To have that deepest desire and longing fulfilled. Well, you might ask yourself, what does this have to do with prayer? I thought this was about prayer. Well, it has a lot to do with prayer, right? Because this is one of the big things we're trying to communicate Today is that prayer is the heart's desire for God. Prayer is a longing for God. It's the longing of your heart for God. If you're not longing for God, you're not going to pray. You're not going to really pray. Who are, who are the people who pray? The people who want God. 
They long for God. They have something within them that yearns for God. And why is it in there? Because God put it in there. God put it within them. You and I don't come up with this. No one seeks after God, we're told. On your own, on my own, we won't seek after God. But God in His mercy comes to us, right? He takes the first step. And He puts within us a desire for Himself. That's incredible. He awakens prayer. Prayer is a heart's desire for God. So Augustine writes, the prayer is what we do when we long for God. He writes, in order to our, our obtaining this true blessed life, like in order to obtain this happy life, he who is himself the true blessed life has taught us to pray. He's taught us to pray. He writes as well, the mouth speaks through the medium of words. How do you speak? With your lips with your voice, with words. But he says the heart speaks through the medium of its desires. How does your heart talk? How does your heart speak? It speaks through its desires, what you want. It's your heart desire that is your prayer. Right now, this very moment, your heart is longing for something. You cannot not Long and want and seek something. Where all of our hearts are longing for something. And it's not so much what you say that God is hearing. It's it's what's on your heart. God sees your heart, right? He doesn't look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And you can't fake God out on it. Like He really sees what's in the heart. You can pretend like you're longing for God, but if your heart's longing for other things, you can't fake God out on it. And it's your heart desire that is at the very core of of, of all praying, of all real, genuine, true praying. It's that heart longing for God. He writes this, Longing desire always prays, though the tongue is silent. If you're ever longing, you are ever praying. Think about that. If you are ever longing, you are ever praying. How do you pray without ceasing? Well, we we were just hearing that in the last session, right? One of the ways you pray without ceasing is throughout your day, keeping up that longing for God, that yearning for God. So in every circumstance that comes your way, you want God, you want his glory. You recognize your need of him. You recognize other people's need of him, right? That that yearning for God that comes from the heart. When does prayer go asleep? When your desires grow cold. That's when prayer goes to sleep. I hope that some of this is kind of encouraging. Because maybe you realize that you're praying more than you think you are, <laughs> right? I mean, if you have a heart for God and you're longing for God and right now you... Your heart is yearning. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to learn how to do this. Like, you're praying right now. Do you realize that? Your heart is crying out to God and God is hearing that cry. And God's going to answer that. So it's kind of encouraging. Maybe you pray way more than you realize you do. It's not just that formal time when you take time aside. It's it's all the time that you are longing for God. Well, It's the voice of one's heart desire that God hears. What is God really attentive to? 
He pays attention to your heart. To your heart. Listen to what Augustine says. He who prays with desire sings in his heart, even though his tongue is silent. But if he prays without desire, he's dumb before God, even though his voice sounds in the ears of men. But what is he saying? You can blah, 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 and God's not hearing a thing if the heart's not in it. Right? But you can be on your face in absolute silence before God. And your heart is just crying out to him. And he's hearing it. Does that make sense? The heart of prayer. As the ears of men are attentive to your lips, so are the ears of God inclined to your heart. How many there are whose lips are silent, but whose love is eloquent? Isn't that beautiful? Your lips may be silent, but your love, your longing is eloquent. God hears it. So many are heard, though their lips do not move, and many are left unanswered in spite of their noisy clamor. (laughs) We ought to pray then with our affections, with our desires. Is this making sense so far? What we're talking about? Good. Good. So here's a question. If prayer is about desire, if it's about our heart, and God sees our heart, and he already knows what we want and what we're crying out to him for, why do we should we ever use words? Isn't that a good question? Why ever, why ever use words? Why should we even get alone sometimes and spend time with God if he's already hearing our cry, he already sees our heart, and he sees those longings, and he knows? Why should we do that? Well, Augustine also answers that. And this is our third lesson, our final lesson that we're going to look at. Intentional time in prayer fans the flame of our desire for God. Intentional time, time, special time in prayer, time pulled away. And I have that word, um, I don't have it there. Here's the next one. Special time of prayer plays an important role in our pursuit of God. Time alone with God is the means by which we can express our desires for God and fan into flame desires that are growing cold. Mr. Brazier had a good illustration about the whale. Remember the whale in the first session? Some of y'all weren't here, but the whale has to come up to breathe, right? Every so often. And if it doesn't come up to breathe, it'll die. And if our longings don't, if we don't come up in a sense, and spend time with God in prayer, our desires, our longings, they will grow cold. Listen to what Augustine writes. But at certain hours, we recall our minds from other cares and businesses. Like, there's a lot of other things we do in life, right? We go to school, we eat, we spend time with friends and family. But he says there are times when we need to recall our mind, take our mind from those other things, in which desire, he says, itself somehow is cooled down. Like taking, interacting in the affairs of life can cool our desires for God, can't they? And so we take time aside from those other things, he says, to the business of prayer, admonishing, admonishing ourselves by the words of our prayer to fix attention upon that which we desire. God, I I long for you. I want you. I need you. Lest what has begun to lose heat become altogether cold. 
and be finally extinguished if the flame be not more frequently fanned. So like our longings, our desires are like a fire. My boys love campfires. We do lots of campfires. Who does campfires? Who's been at a campfire? Yeah, I mean, we all have done campfires, right? I'm always surprised at how fast a campfire dies out and how much work it takes just to keep the fire going. I mean, I'm talking, I'm not talking about a massive bonfire, but you know, a regular size campfire. Like you gotta keep feeding that fire, right? You walk away from that fire, even if you load it with wood, you walk away for an hour and it's burned down quite a bit, right? That, and he's saying the same thing with our desires. You walk away from prayer, from intentionally setting your mind upon God, that, those desires grow cold. It's why it's important to do what Mr. Nuremberg was talking about last session, is throughout the day, not just once in the morning, but throughout the day, keep your mind going back to God, right? Relate everything to God, everything that's coming your way. He writes this, Seeing then that our Father knows already what is needful for us, how and why do we ask? Why seek? Why knock? Why weary ourselves in asking and seeking and knocking to instruct him who already knows? Like, is it there? Does, does God not know what we want and what we need? No, he knows. For he would that men should knock. Why does he want people to knock? Why does he want us to actually stop and knock? Pray with words. Not that he might repel those who knock, but look at that word, but that he might what? Say it together. Exercise. Exercise, right? That's the blank there at the top. He might exercise those who long. Nine and a half years ago, I went from being a very fit, uh, healthy, fairly strong, normally strong person walking around, you know, playing volleyball and playing sports and and within 24 hours, I was laying flat on my back in the intensive care unit, paralyzed, absolutely paralyzed. It got so bad, I couldn't lift a finger. It got so bad, I couldn't even blink my eyes. And because I couldn't blink my eyes, they had to put this gel in my eyes to keep my eyes from drying out. It's just nasty stuff. So there I was, laying in this bed. You know, I mean, one day I'm walking around, the next day I'm laying in this bed. And all my muscles are there, right? I had a decent amount of muscles, like everyone here, you know, enough to walk and do things. My muscles were all there. But I couldn't use them. You know, I couldn't tell my muscle, lift my arm, I lift my leg. I couldn't do anything. It's incredible how quickly your muscles atrophy. You know what I mean by atrophy? Like they go away. I mean, within weeks, I was like skin and bones. You know, I mean, they just, it's incredible. If you don't exercise your muscles, you lose your muscles. That makes sense? If you don't exercise your longings for God, you will lose your longing for God. That makes sense? And so what Augustine is saying is, hey, every once in a while, we need to take Time aside to be alone with God, to exercise our longings for God, to keep those alive, like to stoke the fire, as it were, of our, of our desires, of our longing, that we might keep on praying. Intentional time in prayer fans the flame of our desire for God. 
Therefore, he writes, through prayer, therefore it is brought about that the heart is towards him. Like what happens when we pray? Remember that quote by C.S. Lewis? How does it go? How does it go, Mr. Brazier? Worship, it's in the act of worship that God communicates his presence to man. Like something happens when we get alone and we spend time with God. When we fellowship with God. He reveals himself to us. Our eyes are open to his glory and wonder and splendor. And our longings grow. Does that make sense? They, they, they increase. And prayer increases. Because longing increases. Does that make sense? Our heart is towards him who is our, always ready to give. Provided we are ready to accept what he may give. Alright, so let's summarize what we've learned. We've learned that happiness can only be found in God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that happiness can only be found in God? If you don't believe that, you won't pray. But if you believe that, if you believe that God alone can meet the deep need of your heart, you will go to Him. You will long for Him. And that desire to know God, that longing for God, is at the very heart of all praying. What else have we learned? Those, in order that we, in order to keep the longing for God alive in our hearts, we've got to take time alone and be with God. Like we've got to make that a habit of our lives to get alone and be with God. And fan the flame of our desires for God. And so what I want to do with the rest of my time is get really practical. And I'm going to spend, I'm going to focus more of our time now on not so much the praying throughout the day that Mr. Nurmberg was talking about, which is so important, but the part that, you know, praying throughout the day flows out of taking time with God, alone with God. And I want to, I want to give you a simple plan for what you can do in your time alone with God. Does that make sense? Because some of you may be wondering, okay, I could spend time alone with God, but I don't know what to do. You know, like, what am I supposed to do? What do I say? So I want to give you like a simple plan. And, and the, what I have there in my notes is a simple plan of spending 15 minutes alone with God. Is that what you have there in your notes? It's maybe on the next page. Now, some of you already have a time that you spend with God. And maybe you spend more than 15 minutes, and that's wonderful. But I'm really encouraging those of you maybe who you don't meet with God on a regular basis. You don't spend time on a regular basis. And I'm thinking on a daily basis with God. And I want to encourage you to 15 minutes, to carve out 15 minutes of your day to spend with God. It's not very much, but it's a great start. And I'd rather you start small and grow that than to go, I'm going to pr- I'm going to spend an hour. I'm going to spend two hours a day. And you go, you try that for one day. And it's like, and the whole thing just falls. Okay. It's better to search small and be encouraged. And I think you'll quickly find out that 15 minutes goes by very quickly. Um, but how can you spend 15 minutes alone with God? How can you fan the flame of your desire for God? And this is not... Uh, I don't want you to be misunderstood here. This is not the only way that you can spend time with God. This is not the only way to do this. You know, this is the only way. 
If you do it either way, it's not right. I'm not, that's not what I'm trying to say. But this is a way to do it, and I think could be a helpful way. Some preliminaries. You have some preliminaries there in your notes? I think I have them here on the notes. Determine when and where you're going to meet. Like that's that's important because if you just start your day and say, hmm, you know, when I get a moment, I'll try to spend some time with God today. And you kind of leave it up to just whenever. You're not going to do it. Like It's just not going to happen. You're not going to have a minute or two. See, if you're going to spend time with God, you're going to have to determine to spend time with God. And you will determine to spend time with God if you value that time with God. Right? But it begins with taking time. It might be today even that you think about your schedule. Everybody has a schedule, right? Everybody has a life, things that you do through the day. And think, where can I carve out 15 minutes to spend time with God undistracted? And think about when in the day. That might be the morning. It might be during your lunch hour that you take time aside. You go to your car or you go to a specific spot and I'm going to spend 15 minutes here. Or it might be in the evening before you go to bed. You find a time that you're going to spend that time. And you also find a place. A place is really helpful if you can find a consistent place where you can be alone. Really alone. Undistracted. You know, I like... Well, I like to go outside sometimes. There's places where I like to go and be alone. Um, you might you might find that going into a vehicle, you know, you shut yourself up can be helpful because it, it closes off distractions. Find a place where you can be alone, undistracted. Okay, so determine when and where. Um, remove distractions. We've already talked about distractions, especially the distraction of a phone. Did you know, guys, I don't know if you know this, but you can actually turn the thing off? I looked it up. With Apple phones, you actually press the power button and the volume button, so you don't forget that volume button, and the little thing, little sign pops up, off, and then you can swipe it, I think. With an Android, you just hold the power button for like three or four seconds, and then the little sign comes up. But if you've never turned your phone off, it's quite an experience. Did you know that when you turn your phone off, no one can call you? Did you know that it won't ring? Like it won't make noises? It won't sound? Did you know? I mean, it's incredible. It's one of the best kept secrets of our day. <laughs> the ability to turn a phone off. So um, 15 minutes, you know, people won't miss you that much in 15 minutes. I would encourage you to turn it off or to leave it in another room. If you don't like turning your phone off, okay? Um, why? Because you want to remove distractions and be alone with God. If you're on your phone during those 15 minutes, you're not with God. Does that make sense? You're you're with your phone, not with God. So remove. These are the preliminaries. But how do we spend the time? 15 minutes. How do I spend that time with with God? First of all, read the Bible. Spend five minutes. This is a five-five-five type of plan. And you can easily expand it to 10, 10, 10, 15, 15, 15, or 20, 20, 20. Whoa, a whole hour with God. But spend five minutes listening to what God is saying in his word. And if you want to hear more about that, listen to you can listen to my session from last year where I talked a whole session on how to read the Bible. But have a plan. Like, Don't come to this time and go, 
Where do I read? You know, what do I read? Like, have a plan. Work your way through books of the Bible. You know, you were in chapter one yesterday. Read chapter two today. You could probably read half a chapter to a full chapter in five minutes. That's quite a bit. You know, read a section of scripture and have a plan. Okay. Before you do that, though, I would encourage. I think I have it in your notes. Pray. And I'm like, I would encourage you to pray like a five or ten second prayer. Here's what I'm after. Father, please teach me something from your word. Like, help me to understand your word. So pray pray that prayer. And secondly, please increase my desire for you. Like, two things. Teach me something about yourself and increase my desire for you. That can take five seconds. And then read. Start reading. Read for five minutes. Okay? Secondly, meditate. Meditate is very, very important. Chew on what God is saying. Now, you might not be able to meditate on everything that you read, but there may be something that you read that stood out to you, that caught your attention, and you might meditate on those verses, those specific verses. How can you meditate? Ask these three questions of the text. They're in your notes, right? What does this passage tell me about the triune God? Like, who is God in this passage? Lord, I want to know you. Think about that. Don't go outside of that passage. It's just what you read. Who is God? And then who am I? Like, what does this passage teach me about myself? Like, what is what did God create me for? What does he want me to, you know, what did he create me for? What what has gone wrong? You know, how have I fallen from from all that God wants me to be And then third, ask yourself that question, how should I respond in light of what God has said? What should be my response? You read this chapter, you read this paragraph, like, what should my response be? How can I show to everybody that I believe this stuff, I believe what I'm reading, by my life, by, by what I do, by my obedience? How can I show? Think about that. So you're meditating, you see that? You might re- be rereading it, re- meditating, just thinking about what you've read. Five minutes goes by very quickly, believe me. And then pray. I find it so helpful to begin with God's word and use God's word to lead you into prayer. Praying is responding to what God is saying. It's a conversation. God spoke to you. You've thought about what God said and now you're going to talk to God. You're going to respond to him. And praying, what do you pray? Well, begin with worship, Mr. Brazier said. Thank him and praise him and worship God, not just randomly, but for what you saw in the very text you read. Does that make sense? Keep to the text, keep to the Bible. And worship him for what you see. And then, you might go on to acknowledge, God, I recognize that who you've made me to be. And no wonder of that, the privilege of, of, of who he's created you to be, his child and whatever's in the text, right? Maybe your weaknesses. And then you can move on to asking God. This is five minutes, you know. Ask God to help you to live out what, what he's asking you to do, what he's asking you to be in the text, that, like in that Bible, in, the, in those verses. Does that make sense? Note that this can lead to intercession. Think about it. 
You can be reading the Bible and meditating on the Bible and God brings a friend to mind or a parent to mind or someone else to mind who needs what you're reading. Does it make sense? You know, you're reading Be Anxious for Nothing and you're like, oh, my, my dad's been really anxious re- recently. With He lost his job and, and you can start praying for your dad, you know. Oh, God, Father, help my dad not to be anxious. Help him to go to you in prayer and, and to cast his burdens upon you and give him your peace. See how that's intercession? And it's flowing right out of the verses that you're reading that day. Does that make sense? So five, five, five. Read, meditate, pray. Right? Listen, chew, respond. Simple way to spend time with God, but it can be such a rich time if you'll do this. So I want to do it. We've got, hey, we've got plenty of time. we got 15 minutes. How about that? <laughs> 15 minutes, that's exactly what we need. <laughs> All right. You've got one last sheet. And on that sheet, I put John 1, 1 through 13. I did this kind of purposefully because if you are not spending regular time with God, here's my challenge for you. Start spending 15 minutes a day and start in the Gospel of John. We'll, we'll get you kick-started right here. No, rum, get this engine going. We'll do the first 13 verses and then the rest is up to you. But walk your way through John. Start there. That would be a great place to start. We're going to look at, you've got the verses in front of you. So you don't even have to open your Bible, although Mr. Brazier would be upset with me. if I, You can open your Bible. This is from the ESV. It's right here. And we're going to spend four or five minutes just silently reading this. Okay? I want you to read it. If you can read it two or three times, great. But I want you to read it and think about it. You can be thinking about those questions as you read it. Okay? So let's just take some time right now. 